Handle on the News. Handle on the News! Five hours of Handle is more than enough. He needs to be gone. Get rid of him. And now, here's Bill Handel. By the way, oh, excuse me. I'll get through this. He's not alone, that guy. A lot of people say exactly the same thing. All right, so what I'm going to try to do today is uh, get through this thing. Uh, again, no idea. No idea why my voice is out. None. It's been years and years since this has happened where my voice is out for no good reason. I mean, I've had sore throats before. Certainly, I've had laryngitis before, but nothing like this. And so what I'm probably going to end up doing is speaking fairly softly. So people think that uh, if they tune into the show, that it's not me. (laughs) Who is that? So there's a silver lining to this cloud. For us, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's... um, and so uh, what ends up happening is if, if it gets too ragged, uh, what I'm going to do is I uh, just let Wayne take over. And I'm going to uh, go to some sports game and scream at the top of my lungs. I might as well if my voice is out. No, that doesn't work. I don't think that's the right medical advice. No, no. And uh, so I'm drinking hot tea. I'm drinking it with uh, hot tea with uh, honey. Uh, yesterday, Shannon gave me... Uh, some Chinese herbal thing where you, it's uh, like a honey packet, a large, small honey packet. It's a large honey packet where you see the small ones. And uh, it's some kind of a sort of brownish, viscous liquid thing. And she said, you, you can't read a word of it. It's all in Chinese. And she said, this will cure you immediately. Believe me, this is wonderful. It'll change everything. It almost killed me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Have you tried that throat coat tea? Uh, no, do we have any? We might over in that room over there. I'll look at the break. That's good stuff. That might help. Yeah. Maybe. Except the problem is you're not, you're saying your throat's not sore. No. You don't have phlegm in there. No. It's, it's a little dry. Phlegm, but just not a very little bit. Much. Not very much. And you don't feel bad in any other way. Not so at this all. This is mysterious. It's almost like, you know what? I think it's Russian interference. Oh, that's oh. a good point. I think they've hacked into your vocal right. cords. So we'll, we'll try. Uh, big story today. The uh, 72 year old Joseph James D'Angelo. The Golden State Killer. We're going to talk to uh, ABC's Brad Garrett up at 7 o'clock. Oh, I mean, this this could be the worst uh, series of killings, rapes, assaults uh, in California history. And uh, Michael Cohen is going to plead the fifth. And Ronnie Jackson withdrawing. I, I want to share some political aspects of this. It is hilarious uh, how the polarization has occurred. In the meantime, let's go ahead and do it. Handle on, geez, Louise, and I don't hurt at all. Man, I just That's don't. frustrating. I, it is so frustrating. Uh, I, okay, so here we go. Let's you got to say it. lead story. Oh, I'm trying to keep, I'm trying not to talk very All right, Jen, Jen, you say it. Lead story. I think I'm only going to do consonants. GST uh-huh. or GSK? Yeah, G- GSK, B for busted. Yeah, yeah I just, it's... DNA. Okay. Yeah, well, they... Uh, G- there you go. That's good. Uh, basically, they, they think they have their man. Um, the Golden State Killer. 
Yeah, murders, a- rapes, 150 residential burglaries yeah. going back to the and, 70s. And this story is so interesting because there's a woman who died a couple of years ago who followed this story uh, forever, wrote a book, wrote blogs about it. She's married to a rather famous comedian. She was. Uh, well, she passed yeah, she away. was until she died a couple of years ago. And uh, it's because of her uh, that uh, she's being given the credit for keeping the story alive. And then DNA came up, uh, evidence a long, long time ago, DNA. Uh, and somehow they put it all together. Uh, as it was The FBI reopened the case, and I th- mainly because of her. And uh, they got him. And they're saying, this is the guy. When I talked to Alex Stone, they said because this guy was so good at getting away with what he was doing, they suspected early on that he was a former cop or at least military or something like that, and that it was sort of this culmination of evidence with it with McNamara's book and with what the FBI had and all of this coming together. But the creepiest part was, I didn't realize this, is that he kept terrorizing his victims, and he would call them, to, like, he would still call them. And I'm not joking when I say he would do... I'm going to kill you. Oh, my God. That's what he would say over and over. And and when you talk to um, Brad this morning, he may have the audio cut because they do have a recording, an actual recording of D'Angelo to one of his victims. It's the creepiest thing you've ever heard. Now the question is, uh, the last time he did this, is accused of uh, committing one of these very foul acts was... 35 years 86, ago. 86, yep. And, uh, or the 30 years ago, 31, 32 years ago. And at what point do you feel safe? And was that really th- his last one? Yeah. And who do you think, What? Uh, who was more stunned than he, than him? Uh, it's so obviously if they can, they're actually only trying him or they've, uh, but they've done his charging with two murders. And did you hear what he said when they arrested him? No. I have a roast in the oven. At least it wasn't Jeffrey Dahmer. Good God. What? Let's move on. Yeah, you know what? Let's take a break, and then uh, you will talk about yeah. Ronnie Jackson is out. Yeah, uh, and uh, when we come back, your chance to win $1,000, brought to you by Cunning Dental. Uh, if you need a new smile, call Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888-640-SMILE. How bad is it? Is this workable? Mm, ish. Bear. I don't know. It's not great. Jeez. I mean, I'd rather that you soldier on, but I don't know how it sounds. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, don't, I can't listeners. tell. I can't tell because it's worse for me on this side because if I sound a little bit off, uh, it sounds like a lot off. All right. And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God bless you, please. All right. I'm going to try to uh, do it at this level. And we'll see how uh, long my uh, voice holds out. Probably another 30 seconds. Okay, here's your chance to win some cash. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. The winner is notified with a phone call. If you don't answer it, they move on to somebody else. James in Fallbrook, he answered the call and won $1,000. Your next chance to win coming up next hour. All right, we're back. And uh, wait until uh, either Michelle or Robin and or the two of them uh, tell me. Apparently, Michelle has already weighed in on the status of your voice. The verdict is at 6.30. Wayne will take over. 6.30? Yeah. 
Well, because we don't want you to get worse. That's the problem. I agree with. Oh, I don't want to do that. You know, it's if I can keep on going at this level, I I think mm. you know we'll we'll try it. Let's go because we let's, don't let's know do 636. If we <laughs> we don't know if continuing to talk I don't know. makes it worse. Yeah, we don't know because there's no sore throat. It's um, well, exactly. I'd rather you kind of hop out, go to see a doctor in some way, and figure yeah, what's up. Because I'm sure there are plenty of doctors' offices that are open at 6:45 a.m. Wow, uh, might be a doc in the box that's open. A jack in the box? Doc in the box. Oh, a doc in the box. I'm sorry. Yeah. I misunderstood. Those for a little, moment. you know, All right. urgent cares. Back we go. More handle on the news. Well, uh, Ronnie Jackson has withdrawn as nominee to lead the Veterans Affairs. Yeah, gone. Now, the politics of this is fascinating because all of the accusations are coming from Democrats. All of uh, the reports indicating in this long list of wrongdoings has come from the Democratic side of uh, the committee that's looking at him and uh, co- going to confirm or not. And the Republicans, now I don't think one Republican has really come forward or very few have come forward. It's all the Democrats. And of course, uh, of course Trump is uh, saying, uh, oh, no, 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 no. Although he's allowed to, the withdrawal, of course, is going to accept it. And uh, Sarah Huckabee Hughes, uh, she is hilarious. He has passed all of the FBI uh, background checks. How about when he was drunk? He has passed all of the FBI. How about him writing prescriptions and handing them out like Skittles? He has passed all of the FBI. She will not comment on any specific. But maybe he has passed all the FBI background checks. Maybe people have been lying all along. When's the last one? I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. And you've got – I love, too, that you say the de- that the Democrats are the ones who are pointing all this out because it's not like he was just the doctor to Trump. No. He's been the doctor for, yeah. ch- what, two, three presidents? Yeah. This is his third? Yeah, but this is very different being named the doctor, which doesn't need confirmation, and being named the VA uh, head of the VA, which does need confirmation. But what I'm saying is why was he allowed to stay? Because nobody cared. In- well. Because the president – it was the president's call and nobody cared. And it's also, this is now a distraction from what was the legitimate issue with him, which is just he'd never run anything yeah. right. big, right. and right. the VA is the second biggest governmental department. Oh, there's hundreds of thousands. All right. Sorry, I was telling you, your mic was off for a, sec- for a second. Oh, I But got you're it. good to go. Okay, so there's a, <laughs> I guess, synthetic pot that's now been re- er, linked to a fourth death in Illinois, and they think it's got rat poison in it. Now the trucks don't work, they just make you... 153 people have gotten sick because of this synthetic pot. And uh, this latest one is a woman in her 30s, a man in his 40s, two men in their 20s. And uh, they think, yeah, that they've laced it with rat poison. How do you tell the difference between Uh, synthetic pot and real pot? For example, how do you tell the difference between pharmaceutical opioid and an opioid that's uh, manufactured? And throw it out on the street by non-pharmaceutical companies because they they have the pill making looks exactly the same. They probably have the same stamp on them, uh, and uh, it's I'm guessing I've never bought on the street. I've had plenty of opioids, of course, written by doctors, uh, and they keep on doing it because why split the money with them? No, <laughs> that's not true. Oh my God. I just want to get uh, doctors I know in a lot of trouble. That's and if you're thinking, uh, I don't have to worry because I would never use this spice or this K2 uh, synthetic pot, 
You ever eat lettuce? Oh. Romaine lettuce. It's always yeah. in my CDC sanity. has added more people to its list of victims in this E. coli yeah. outbreak romaine of romaine lettuce. I was having lunch with Neil Saavedra yesterday, and we were passing a Chipotle, and he pointed at the Chipotle and said, you can't get a salad anymore at Chipotle. Lettuce is done. Uh, because they've had such a, an interesting history with E. coli, oh, yeah. they're not even going to go there. So uh, if you ask for a salad, you might as well say hold the lettuce because that's what you're going to do. That's what they're going to do. All right, I'm going to, uh, yeah, jeez. Do I bail out? Oh, God. Oh, God, I hate this. Oh, how depressing is this? Okay, I will or will not come back. How about I'll do a Ooh, break mystery teaser. Mystery, how's that? Mystery Ooh. teaser. I will or I won't come oh. back. All right. We should get a, a pool going. Yeah. The exact a, clock time right, that a, you a, tap out. A ghoul pool. All right. <laughs> For your we'll, throat. Yeah. We'll... KFI AM 640. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill, he feels fine, but his voice sounds weird, and he has basically been banished <laughs> from speaking on the air until he can figure out why. Because he'll just push and push and push. Right. He did not want to go. And uh, Michelle, who's now the executive producer of the entire radio station, marched in here at the break and basically ordered him to get out of here and go see someone. He, his so- his throat is not sore. No. He does not feel bad in any way, nor does it. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of phlegm. That's not what's causing it. So it's a big mystery. Another big mystery is how does he work without his headphones? Hold on. He has he has the headphone pot completely off. So I guess oh. he... I don't know if this is Nora. He does the show without listening through headphones, apparently. <laughs> That's why he's the master. All right, so we still have Handle on the News for you with a Jennifer Jones, Lee, and me. Well, if you're on housing assistance, the price for that housing assistance might go up dramatically pretty soon. Rent to the landlord, baby. That's his business. That's his business. That's HUD Secretary his business. Ben Carson is proposing a requirement of 30% of your adjusted income go to rent. So you might pay something like from $50 to $150. And they say the change would affect able-bodied working-age Americans who rely on HUD for federal assistance. And those people make up about 4.7 million people who get this federal housing help. I think right now it's the the 30% of your adjusted income. That's the contribution you have to make now. And what he wants to do is make it 35% of your, of your gross, gross income. Yes. So higher percentage and obviously a higher base amount because that's before any deductions. And then there is this minimum rent because there are a lot of people who get HUD assistance who don't have jobs. They're people who are disabled. And can't possibly work or earn any money, but you still have to contribute something. So right now it's 50 bucks. If you have nothing, you got to find a way to kick in 50. He wants to raise that to 150. I don't know how if he has explained specifically why this is necessary. Or what or what he's hoping to accomplish from a policy standpoint. But um, there are going to be a lot of people who are on housing assistance who find it hard to keep up with these requirements. Going from 50 bucks to 150 bucks is big, but he he claims that this would help raise uh, or help address the rising costs of providing housing assistance. There you go. Uh Michael Cohen? Oh, wait, let me try this. 
If you want to know what's in the mind, no, never mind. He's going to take the fifth. <laughs> I, I plead the fifth. I want to do something. It was like Michael Cohen, you won't be knowing, but it didn't work. I couldn't I couldn't construct. Michael Cohen's testimony, you won't be, be knowing. knowing. Thank you. There you go. Uh, filed court papers yesterday. He's going to assert his Fifth Amendment privilege. This is in the civil lawsuit with Stormy Daniels. Now, normally in a civil lawsuit, you can't take the fifth. Because the Fifth Amendment is only you, you're not you can't be made to incriminate yourself. But you may remember his offices got raided, including documents regarding this payment to Stormy Daniels. And so he does have the right to do this, because if he explains what was happening with that payment, if anything, oh. you know. And by the way, I know that a lot of people think that if you take the fifth, it has to be because you're guilty of something and you know that you are. But that is not true because sometimes you just don't know what, how what you say could end up hurting you in a criminal matter. And that's why attorneys will always advise you to take the fifth, even, even if there's no actual knowledge of a crime. All right. We've been watching the Cosby case and the deliberation goes on. This is day two for the jurors in the retrial of his sexual assault case. Well, they've come back with three questions. The Cosby case. Oh, I only heard about the one yesterday. What is the definition of consent? And the judge said, I can't tell you. Right. And now they've also asked, apparently, they want to see documents prepared by um, the woman who claimed that Constant had said that she wanted to, you know, nail Cosby or, or nail a celebrity, I guess, for money. And then a third question asked for rereading of Cosby's deposition and of that woman's testimony. So they've got three things that they want. Is this the part of the deposition where he it, where he says he gave women, he got prescriptions for quaaludes and never took them himself and gave them to women? No, I think that this is the part about whether the woman, the, whether Andrea Constand did actually say, hey, uh, I want to frame a celebrity for money. Mm. That's what I thought. But anyway, the bottom line is they've got questions in this thing, and it's certainly not shaking out as easily as some people thought it might. It's not nearly as black and white as a lot of people thought it would be. They say that you can't tell based on how long a jury deliberates which way it's going to go, even though some people say, oh, the longer it goes, it's better for the defense, but not necessarily. But you can tell some things by the questions that are being asked. So I think here they're trying to figure out who to believe. I think so, too. Yeah. But there's still no way to know which way they're leaning. Well, let me ask you real quickly. Why wasn't the judge able to explain to them the legal definition of consent? Uh, because they probably don't have one in Pennsylvania that he can read from a statute book. And there's certain questions judges can't answer. There's certain things they can't say to a jury. So this isn't, be, I can't answer it because I won't answer it. This is, I can't answer it because I legit can't answer yeah, it. Yeah, and what he said is, and this happens all the time, he said, I already explained to you the elements of the charges, what you have to find mm. in order for him to be guilty. That's all I can do. Hey, mm. uh, what? Oh, break? Fine, we'll break. I'm looking at Jen, not you. So what you can do, reach across <laughs> and tap me on the shoulder. If you need my attention, please, because I'm transfixed with Jen when we're doing handle on the news now, because I normally I can't see her. I know this is I all new to there, us. But I get to see your face. All right. So we're going to take a break. Then we'll come back. Uh, a big rape lawsuit being dismissed. It's quite interesting against a fairly famous person. But first we'll break. And when we come back, it'll be your. No, it won't be anything. KFI. Look, I'm getting acclimated.
KFI AM 640. Search Cruise and hello. KFI AM 640. It's the Bill Handel Show. I'm not Bill Handel. He, his voice is gone. Yeah. He feels fine. His, his, I can never say uh, his throat is not sore. I want to say his sore is not throat. <laughs> his sore is not throat. It's uh, true. He does not have a fever, nothing, but no. uh, his voice just is gone. Anyway, let's get uh, back into Handel on the News with Jennifer Jones, Lee, and me. Federal lawsuit accusing Russell Simmons of rape has been dismissed. And now everybody to the dance floor. Not just dismissed. Dismissed by agreement of both sides. And not just dismissed by agreement of both sides. Dismissed with prejudice, meaning cannot be filed again. Why would that happen? Uh... See, I hate to speculate on something like this because we're talking about very sensitive issues here, right? Yeah. But if you sue somebody for anything Mm -hmm. and later you agree not only that the suit will be thrown out but that you can never, ever bring it again, it suggests that your case might not have been very good. Because let's say you have an okay case but you mess up the filing. Then you should be able to file it yeah, again. Yeah, you can dismiss something uh, without prejudice, which means, look, you got to fix l- either legal errors or you failed to properly state a cause of action or something like that. But to be dismissed with prejudice and to get her attorneys to agree to that suggests that they have zero interest in moving forward. You can draw your own conclusions about whether she was lying or whether they just something came up that they said this is just not worth pursuing even though he totally raped me i don't know but uh, he won't face that charge i think there's still another suit though this was a five million dollar suit there's a ten million dollar lawsuit from another woman whose identity we don't know that he still is contending with all right well uh there is a editor writer and woman's advocate who says she wants no part of charlie rose's me too comeback tonight i'm cleaning up I, even though i understand that this is not an Onion article, there's still a part of me that is extremely suspicious about this because of how absurd it sounds. It does. This sounds bizarre. So Charlie Rose apparently is being slated to star in a show where he, who has been all caught up in this Me Too scandal, will interview other high-profile men who have also been accused of this Me Too thing, like Louis C.K. or Matt Lauer. Yeah, and so Tina Brown, see, the problem is she's telling this to page six. It's not, if this was coming from Reuters, I wouldn't be quite as suspicious, mm-hmm. uh, but she's telling page six that she got a phone call, somebody saying, hey, would you want to produce this interview series with Charlie Rose and all of these disgraced men? And she said, hell no, I don't want to do that. I'm not and by, and by the way, let me call somebody in the press and tell them that the idea is out there. On the other hand, if we put aside the icky feeling about it, you know it would get monster ratings. Oh, my gosh. Because you're going to want to hear what these guys have to say. I mean, Louis C.K. has come out and and basically said what I did was wrong. You know, he's he's sort of gone on the record with that sort of thing. But, yeah, would we want to hear his side of the story? Yeah. Matt Lauer hasn't really said much at all. But, he were, but we don't know that Louis C.K. and Matt Lauer had even agreed to go on with Charlie Rose. This could have been somebody who got drunk 
<laughs> had this idea, called yeah. up Tina Brown, and that's the beginning and end of the whole thing. Exactly. You know how Bill is the jerk and Marjorie is the saint? Yeah. Could be the same thing with Kanye and Kim. Because, of course, Kanye West has been tweeting a lot lately, including his admiration for President Trump. That's not what makes him a jerk. Um, And then, apparently, Kim called him and said, can you get on the Twitter and just make it clear that you don't agree with everything the president says and does? And he did. Yeah. And apparently he stopped tweeting specifically about President Trump. He's gone on to tweeting about other things like venture capitalism, and he met uh, Larry Page of Google and stuff like that. So I, I, I wonder if Kim Kardashian was like, look, you've got to slow your Trump love roll, uh, yeah. my and friend. You know that old saying, happy wife, happy life? Oh, yes. I think, yeah, he might have mm-hmm. heeded to that, too. I like him. Do you like him? I like his music. I, him personally drives me crazy. Really? But I can't say that she doesn't drive me crazy, too. Oh, well, so that could just be other. a whole, yeah. All right. Uh, not a shocker. <laughs> the LeVar Ball has pulled his sons out from his uh, their Lithuanian uh, basketball team. All balls don't bounce. Some balls roll and some balls I'm surprised that we've gone this long without some drama, but it finally came to a head. I guess here's the thing. The, first of all, the team sucks. Yeah. They're in last place in that Lithuanian league. Their record is 8-24. and 24. There's a couple of games left. Also, the coach of the team has his own son that is a starter on the team. Weird. So, LeVar Ball, you you basically, you have two crazy basketball dads. Dad. <laughs> one is the coach, one is LeVar Ball. And I guess they just couldn't work it out. So, he said he's pulling them off the team, he's bringing them back here. And one of, uh, LiAngelo's been injured anyway. Yeah, hurt he's, his he's ankle. He's got a hurt ankle. And uh, also, you know, they've already said they would like to uh, go into the NBA draft. So I guess that's what's going to happen. But yeah. uh, probably a sad day in Lithuania. No more balls. All right. Uh, when we come back, Brad Garrett's going to join us inside the mind of the Golden State Killer. After all of these decades, they think they have their man. It's KFI AM640. Jennifer Jones Lee has news. KFI AM 640. It's the Bill Handel Show. Uh, Bill just left a few minutes ago. His throat is fine, but his voice is gone. Let's continue with the show here. Brad Garrett joins us now uh, with the latest information on the capture of probably the Golden State Killer. Good morning, Brad. Obviously, the first question we all have is, uh, what do we know about how they finally caught this guy? Well, that's an interesting question because I don't think we actually know that. The task force that they pulled together, I think, was able to link the DNA to one person. So the murders, the rapes, the, the, the burglaries, et cetera, they've got a large number of potential crimes to charge him. The issue is, how did they ever get to him? Because he's not in anybody's DNA base because he's not a convicted felon. So I'm going to guess somebody gave them a tip and they ended up surveilling him and then eventually getting discarded DNA. In other words, like a coffee cup or something that they witnessed him actually touch. 
swabbed it, and then they got a DNA hit, and that led to his arrest. That is, uh, I don't know if that's what happened here, but that is what happened with a case here in L.A., the Grim Sleeper, where an undercover cop followed the guy around, Lonnie Jackson, followed him around, and uh, the guy left a piece of pizza behind at a restaurant, and the undercover cop snagged it, and they were able to get DNA off of that. So maybe you're right. Uh, it that, also that, could have that, been it also could have been what they call a familial DNA search where they find somebody in the system that's a close match, but not a, a an actual match. And usually this is a relative. And then they start asking them questions. And sometimes they get a detail that helps. Maybe them. maybe they claim that they have only known about this guy for six days. That would suggest to me wow. that that would suggest to me if that's true. That that somebody came forward and says you need to look at the D'Angelo for whatever reason. That's when they started the surveillance. That's when they picked up the discarded DNA, apparently, and then got a hit. And they're only they're only going to try him for two murders. Is that because those are the only two cases that they have strong evidence, or do you think it's just because you know if you get him on two murders, what else do you need? No, no. I guarantee you in the next two or three weeks, he'll be charged with multiple murders. This is how this usually works. You focus on getting him arrested. If, if the strongest case available with the two murders he was charged with, then you charge him. Then the DAs in Ventura County, the DA in Orange County, and then I think there's going to be some other jurisdictions, will then start adding charges. So you're going to see basically a boatload of charges, in my view, in the coming days and weeks. Well, he's in his 70s. If they if they do multiple trials in multiple jurisdictions, he could pass away before he's ever sentenced for any of these crimes. Well, I I suppose that's right. That's you know, that's going to be partly driven by him. Is he going to plead at some point? You know, what they'll do is my guess is is if he's willing to to, to roll over and say I did all of these, uh you know, could he end up with life without parole? Maybe. Although, I, you know, these DAs want to charge him uh, with capital murder, which, as you well know, he could potentially face the death penalty. So uh, so we'll see. But, yes, you're right. Age is a, is a factor here. Well, whatever happened recently uh, to finger him, he certainly eluded identification and capture for decades. How smart does someone have to be? to get away with this for so long? Just kind of well, smart, or do you have to be like super evil genius level smart? Well, you have to be at least have the ability to keep your mouth shut because what typically catches these guys is that they say something to someone who then the police hear about it and they end up catching them. Either that or by sheer repetition, serial offenders get caught because they can't stop. And it's going to be interesting to see what happened in 86. Why did he stop or did he stop? Maybe stop with murders, maybe not. But did he stop with sexual assaults? So that's going to be the other factor of this case, other than the, 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 the crimes between 76 and 86, what occurred between 86 and 2018. How unusual is it to see a serial offender with at least here three different serial crimes there's murders there's rapes and there's uh, like 150 residential burglaries is that unusual uh, n- not completely particularly the rape and the murder part of it those those are a common thing to go together 
it depends on where you commit those acts. In his case, not all of them, but a vast majority of them were inside the victims' homes. So, you know, he's a guy that apparently just likes to break in houses. This is all driven by the sort of uh, fantasy, the very rich fantasy and the intrigue of, I can break in your house. I can do what I want because he's apparently quite comfortable once he gets inside somebody's house. His demeanor, his approach, his words, his ability to taunt and to a certain extent torture people for long periods of time would would suggest he's just really comfortable in playing this role. And it's filling this fantasy, this obsession of his that drive almost every serial killer. Now, you spoke of taunting, and my understanding is that there were some victims that he would continue to taunt, including with phone calls. Correct. Would, would, call, would call them back and say things like, do you remember how good that was? I mean, saying, you know, obviously awful things based on what happened. But yes, that's, and that's all part of tweaking both her, the victim, but also he likes that. That's another sort of area of punishment uh, and that that he is like, I can actually pick up the phone and call, and there's nothing you can do about it. There is some indication that he might have actually done that with the police, too. That, that remains to be seen, but I had heard that. So it wouldn't surprise me. And uh, a lot of people are crediting Michelle McNamara, you know, who wrote a book about this case. From everything that you know, do you think that's true, that, that the stuff that she uncovered in her research – may well have helped identify this guy? Well, it certainly wouldn't hurt, because she did a lot of very important, detailed information uh, that she collected. But keep in mind, there's really three things that solve this case. A dedicated task force that looked at this case day in and day out, pulled together the DNA from, you know, multiple, multiple jurisdictions. Uh, And then you have the DNA technology that linked them and then you have what I call luck, and the luck in the case is what tip, tip led to his doorstep, because there had to be something, because it wasn't going to be DNA. Once they got to his doorstep, then DNA becomes relevant. So it takes all of those elements, and you had those in this case. Uh, one last question. what What is coming up, if anything, in terms of any court action? Well, he'll obviously be arraigned, I suspect, today or tomorrow. They'll either set no bond or, or, or a ridiculously high bond. He will be read the charges, and that'll be it for right now. It'll be months and months and, or even years before there's probably even a preliminary hearing. Well, no, there'll be a preliminary hearing because there's every – even in the state of California, you have what they call uh, you know, sort of benchmarks of time. So after a period of time – you know, the judge will call him back in. Where are we? Are we going to trial? Is he going to plead guilty? Have you talked about a plea agreement? But keep in mind, because you have all of these other jurisdictions, you know, the Ventura and Orange County DAs were in Sacramento at the press conference yesterday. <clears throat> They're about to charge him. So he's now going to face, you know, county jurisdictions, if you will, in numerous locations throughout California. Yeah. All right, Brad, good to talk to you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Anytime. Take All care. right. There he goes. Brad Garrett. Uh, when we come back, Ronnie Jackson's out. Is it political? Kind of looks that way. And your chance to win $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental. Loose teeth? Call Cunning Dental for a free exam. 888-640-SMILE. 
640. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill is out with a terrible voice. He feels fine. His throat does not hurt, uh, but his voice is basically shot. So we will continue on, and uh, let's give you a chance to win some cash. You're shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200-200. They call the winner and you have to answer or you can't win. Karen in La Habra answered and won $1,000. Your next chance to win next hour. All right. Ronnie Jackson has withdrawn from the nomination to head the VA. Not a big surprise. Uh, A bunch of allegations came out, and some people are saying that it's completely political. Why would they say that? Well, the allegations are coming from only uh, the Democrats on the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee. Uh, So far, haven't really heard any Republicans weigh in on any of this. And that's weird. And it's weird because of what the allegations are. So let's go through what people have supposedly said about Ronnie Jackson, and then let's figure out what we think about it. This is a two-page document, so everything I'm going to go over has fit onto two pages. I have to believe it's single-spaced with a very small font. Also, you should know that the Democrats on the committee say that every allegation was confirmed by at least two different people, And that this is all coming from people who worked uh, with Dr. Ronnie L. Jackson in the White House medical office. So there are basically three areas. One of them has to do with uh, being hinky about prescription drugs. One of them has to do with allegedly being a real jerk in the workplace. Uh, And one of them has to do with his own issues uh, with intoxication. So first... The drugs. There's a couple of things that are being alleged. One is that he would hand out Ambien uh, to staff while they were traveling and not necessarily evaluate them properly or keep proper records. I don't know what to make of that, because when you work for the White House, I would imagine there are lots of long trips, international flights and so forth. Big time changes. And although Ambien is a very interesting drug because there is a high risk of abuse with Ambien, uh, it is not uncommon for doctors to give people Ambien short term exactly for this purpose. Hey, you're flying to Australia. You got to sleep when you need to sleep. You give them an Ambien. So I don't know whether that makes him a bad doctor or it just possibly makes him a bad record keeper, which are two different things. But there is also an allegation involving Percocet. Percocet is, of course, an opioid. And uh, the allegation is that he gave so much Percocet to one of the staff members at the White House military office that later... His own medical staff went into a panic because they couldn't account for all the missing Percocet. 
which would mean he was giving a lot of it and not documenting it properly. But again, we don't really know how much is a lot. We don't know who he was giving it to. We don't know why. And I know there's some people who are saying we don't even know if he really did. I understand. There are people who who are assuming that every single one of these allegations is completely false, including one very important person. Now, as far as his, uh, I guess, attitude in the workplace, again, supposedly multiple people describe him as being hostile, that he would belittle and demean the people underneath him, and that people would walk around afraid of recriminations at all times. Again, I don't know, but have you ever worked uh, with a boss who was a jerk? It's, it's fairly common. And then the third thing is his own alleged issue with uh, drinking too much, including an allegation that he got drunk and wrecked a car, and also that one time they were all somewhere and they were in a hotel and the medical staff needed something, and they went to his room and he was, like, passed out. And so they just took what they needed and left. And then there's also an alleged incident where he one night Came back to a hotel. This is, by the way, a lot of this stuff is when he was working for President Obama. That he came back to the hotel and he was drunk and he started banging on somebody's door so loud that the Secret Service came and said, keep it down, you're going to wake up the President of the United States. He has adamantly denied all of these things. He says they're completely false and fabricated. And he has a good point. If these things were happening and people knew about them, why would he keep getting reaffirmed to be the White House doctor for three different presidents over 12 years? So I'm I'm slightly skeptical because of where it's coming from, and it doesn't make sense that he could get away with this stuff for so long. But we'll have to wait and see if more comes out, which may not now that he is not going to try to be the head of the VA. When we come back, uh, California State University schools in huge trouble for exposing students and staff to deadly chemicals. I'll explain what's going on there. It's the Bill Handel Show, KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640, this is the Bill Handel Show. Uh, Bill had to go. His voice is gone. He feels fine. Doesn't have a sore throat, but his voice is just not workable. And uh, I think we all have our fingers crossed. Jennifer, you got fingers crossed, please, that his voice is better tomorrow. Moving on, uh, a big audit of Cal State University reveals that a lot of those campuses are dirty. And I don't mean in a fun way, like they're sexy. I mean, they've got real problems with hazardous chemicals and materials on campus. And this audit says they're not doing enough to ensure the safety of the people who work there and uh, the people who go there. Do you want to send your kid to a school that doesn't keep them safe? I don't think you do. Now, maybe the worst school. I don't, I don't, I don't want to necessarily single out uh Sacramento State, but they had a chemical spill in 2016, and people got hurt. Some people may have long-term health damage because of this, and uh, CSU has the same problem that a lot of companies have, like auto companies, when their cars start blowing up, and their first instinct is to try to minimize it or even cover it up, and it looks like similar things were going on around the CSU campus. 
particularly Sacramento, San Diego, Sonoma, and Channel Islands. One thing they had going on at some of these campuses were the drinking fountains were spitting out lead water. Water with lead way above the recommended levels. That's kind of funny to me that there is a level of lead where even scientists and doctors apparently say, yeah, that's probably not too bad. It's like the thing about how much um, insect poop can be in your food. The, the correct level is not no insect poop in your food. The correct level is some insect poop in your food, just like the correct level is some lead in your water is apparently okay. But they were exceeding it, and eventually they got around to uh, shutting down some of those drinking fountains and then t- targeting some of them to be repaired or replaced. But what's interesting is we have a problem with the lead in the water coming about our drinking fountains, so the solution is we'll fix some of them, not all of them. Some of them will just shut down. So basically you have half as many drinking fountains on campus because they kind of looks like don't want to be bothered having to spend the money and take the time and do the work to clean up these problems. Now that the audit is out, the chancellor's office says we agree with the audit. Now that's interesting. They're not trying to fight these findings. And they also say we will do everything that they say we should do in this audit because we take the health and safety of our students seriously. They say they're going to do their own audit of all 23 campuses. They just got audited and were found to have massive problems with chemicals on campus. They say, oh, we're going to do our own audit in 2019. It hasn't apparently lit in too much of a fire under these people. Why now, after all these years of, of, according to the audit, not appropriately dealing with these problems on campus, why now do they seem to be so conciliatory? Could it be that there's an $80 million lawsuit against the system by four former employees? Specifically over being exposed to chemicals. Yeah, I think that probably has a lot to do with it. Do you know in this audit, almost half of the people that they talked to said the schools don't ask them anything, get no input from them when they're trying to figure out, uh, hey, should we, for example, set up a chemical stock room over here and store dangerous chemicals? They don't ask the students or the employees 36% of the employees there who worked in laboratories said they didn't get any health and safety training before they started work. That doesn't mean they didn't get it later after they had been working around dangerous substances for a while, but you'd think that's the kind of training that you'd want on day one. And over 10% said that every time that they try to report a problem with hazardous conditions, they they get stonewalled. And in fact, you know, they had a guy whose job it was to kind of oversee this kind of safety on campus. Uh, Joseph Shepler is his name. And he's the former environmental health and safety manager. He is also suing the system because he said two things. One, that some officials at the university were intentionally concealing problems. Why? They were trying to minimize their legal liability. 
which never works because it always comes out. And when it comes out, the fact that you covered it up for so long makes the consequences work. Exhibit one, the tobacco industry. Also, they fired him. And he says, yeah, after I said, after I was a whistleblower and said, hey, we got a lot of problems with dirty campuses, they fired him. So I think that this litigation is serving the purpose of getting these schools uh, to maybe finally take some of this stuff seriously. It always makes me wonder if they weren't taking the issue of hazardous chemicals on campus seriously, what other things are they not taking seriously? You know, what if there are problems with their health services? What if there's problems with their, uh, you know, policing agencies? What if there's problems with violence on campus? What if there's problems with just really super crappy professors? And if there's this administrative tendency to want to just sweep things under the rug, it's not only going to apply to one area like hazardous chemicals or lead in your drinking fountains. If that's the way you run an organization, that's how you react to everything. It does seem, though, one of the schools in this system that has a problem is taking it seriously. Although it doesn't mean they're doing the right thing about it. And uh, that's what's going on up at Cal Poly and their racism problem. So we come back, we'll talk about what's been going on up there and what they did about it and whether it's fair. This is the Bill Handel Show. It's KFI AM 6. KFI AM 640. It's a Bill Handel show. Bill had to leave. His voice is shot. He feels fine, but he just sounds like a drunk frog who is also eating gravel while trying to talk. I don't know why I said drunk frog. I retract drunk frog. It just sounds like a frog trying to speak while eating a big bucket of gravel. It's still a great description. I know, but it implies that he also somehow like wasn't all there, and that's not true. He just has a bad voice. All right, I'm over-explaining. Here we go. So we talked about how uh, at different uh, Cal State campuses they got a problem with the hazardous chemicals. Well, up at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, they got another problem, and it's called racism, or at least it's called bad racially-based behavior. And let's start with just a little story. One day, uh, there's this student there, Alia Ramos. She's walking across the campus. She's black. She's walking across the campus. And up to her comes a young lady who's there with her mother. And they're black. And the young lady says to Alia Ramos, Hey, uh, you're the only black person that I've seen all day. What's it like to go to this school and be black? And she said, well, it's mostly white around here. But, you know, you shouldn't not apply because if you don't apply, that's not going to help with the diversity, is it? But I'm not going to lie to you. 
students. A lot, a lot of white people walking around this campus. Now, this woman, Aliyah Ramos, who said she encouraged the other black uh, student to apply, said, you know what? Given the stuff that's been happening lately, I don't know if I would have told her to come here. Because they've had a series of incidents up there. One of them, some dummy fraternity guy at a party wearing blackface. And, of course, somebody takes a picture of it and it goes viral and everybody sees that. And then at another uh, frat house, there's a photo of a bunch of frat dudes and they're wearing the baggy pants and fake tattoos and gold chains and flashing gang signs. And uh, when did this happen? Uh, It was on April 7th. And what was going on? Cal Poly's Multicultural Weekend. See, the school, this is one of the problems with educators, is they, you'd think that they would know better how students can be. Uh, And yet it seems that they don't. Because they said, let's have this wonderful multicultural weekend. And then the frats go, yeah, let's dress up like black gang members. Or in the case of another fraternity, apparently Hispanic gang members. Bunch of white kids at Sigma Nu with the... um, the ribbed tank tops and the bandanas, and then they put a picture up on their social media, and the caption is, uh, when you get your homes to take a photo of La Familia. So this caused a lot of uh, scrutiny, international scrutiny on this campus. And uh, Cal Poly's student body is 54.8% white. Well, it was in fall of 2017. I don't know what it is today. Cal State campuses overall are 23.5% white. They also have a higher percentage of white students than all 10 UC campuses. Now, look, having a lot of white people in one place is not in and of itself bad or wrong or a problem. So to to me, that's interesting because it, it is so statistically out of whack with the rest of Cal State and UC systems. Whether in and of itself it means anything, I don't know. But they definitely have an issue with uh, at least a small group of white people on that campus who think that it's really fun uh, to perpetrate these stereotypes and act this way. Part of me really wants to say, you know... Before we get too upset, let's consider the source. It's frat guys. And I'm not trying to piddle all over the fraternity system. But on the other hand, it's not that great. Or at least for everything that's great about fraternities, there's another thing that's terrible. Right? For every fraternity... For every fraternity, when I went to school, there were a couple of fraternities that didn't do any of this. They didn't do any hazing. They didn't have the crazy parties. They were like service fraternities. And they did good works in the community. And I'm going to tell you something right now, and this may or may not surprise you, but trust me on this. Those two fraternities got the most ladies. I'm not saying that's what's important about getting into a frat. Those were the two fraternities that all the ladies wanted to hang out at. You want to know why? Because they thought it was extremely sexy that these guys were basically gentlemen. 
And so the irony is they ended up getting more, uh, you know, interaction, if you will, than the guys down the hall who were just like doing shots off of each other and all that crazy stuff. So this is fraternities primarily. And what the school has done is they have done an indefinite suspension of all the sororities and fraternities on campus. Now, a spokesperson for the university says, hey, we're not trying to completely get rid of the Greek life at Cal Poly. It's just a pause and a reset. Mm, we'll have to wait and see. I can tell you one thing. One of the houses up there, uh, <laughs> they, they, they ripped the Greek letters off the front of the house, and there's a massive no trespassing sign in front of it. Which is, I don't know if you if you tear down those letters if you're planning to uh, restart your fraternity anytime soon. So we will see uh, if they're able to get a handle on that problem up there. When we come back, North and South Korea are going to meet tomorrow. I want to know if those two leaders will hug with the same passion and for the same amount of time as French President Macron and uh, John Lewis hugged. I don't know if you saw that on social media. They hugged each other for like five hours. I'm exaggerating only slightly. It was beautiful. And this might be beautiful, too. And we'll get into what they're going to do and what each side wants. This is KFI AM640. Jennifer Jones-Lee has news. K-pop Kim Jong-style. Kim Jong-style. Walk, 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 walk. Walking Kim Jong-style. Let's chill for a while. Back to work. 640. It's a Bill Handel show. Bill had to leave. Uh, his voice is just gone, although he doesn't feel bad. This segment is brought to you by Liftique. Look years younger without facelift surgery. Go to liftique.com. There's another thing I want to tell you about. There's an event coming up, and it's a KFI mixer, and it's at the uh, OUE Sky Space which is this uh, big event space on top of, uh, I forget which building in downtown L.A., but it's way uh, high. Oh, it's the U.S. Bank Tower. 360-degree views of L.A. You can join Handel, John, Ken, Gary, Shannon, Conway, and more for a live Q&A session and mix and mingle with the KFI crew, cocktails and appetizers. You can get your tickets now. Very important to understand. 100% of the proceeds benefit the American Red Cross Get Prepared California campaign. Go to KFIAM640.com and search keyword handle to see all the rules and details. Tomorrow, they're going to meet North and South Korea. This has not happened since uh, 2007. And this might be... If the trajectory holds true, the most impactful meeting between these two countries, maybe since they split. It's pretty, some people are saying, is this really a big deal? Yeah, it is a huge deal. It is a huge deal primarily on the North Korean side. Because Kim Jong-un has somewhat abruptly changed his belligerent tone. And is acting, at least, and I understand people are very skeptical of his motives and his plans, as am I. But at least the public face of what he's doing seems to be a pretty good turnaround, just in terms of the nature of the rhetoric. I mean, I'm distilling this down a little bit, but for so long he was like, we'll murder the world. 
I'll murder the whole world if you don't think I'm cool. And now he's saying, hey, maybe maybe we can all get along. In fact, let's explore the possibility that he is insincere here for a second. If he is insincere, it would mean he's insincere either about giving up some or all of his nuclear capabilities. But that's not something that you can string along for, for too long. I mean, you can't really lead the rest of the world on that you're going to do something and then not do it. That could buy him a little bit of time. It might He might be able to fool people into dropping some of the sanctions against him, at least for a while. But eventually, everybody will figure out that he hasn't really done anything or that he won't allow anybody to go in there and determine whether he's done anything. There's another issue. It has to do with reunification of families. You know, a lot of families were ripped apart when uh, they split into two countries, and there's still about 60,000 people who are affected by this. Again, um, you might be able to repress the people on the North Korean side, but you can't stop the South Korean people who are separated from their family members in the North. You can't stop them from saying, yeah, he's not letting us reunify. So he can't really pull that game for too long either. And it boils down to what he wants. What does he want? A lot of people try to psychoanalyze the guy. Well, he wants legitimacy. He wants to be viewed as a legitimate world leader in his country, to be viewed as a legitimate part of the world community. Maybe it's that. Maybe he is pursuing this entirely of his own psychological needs. It also could be maybe that the sanctions are actually working. And he's hurting. And I know that the, the rap on that country, and it's a, it's a pretty good criticism, is uh, he lives large and then people are eating dirt, which is true. And I don't know that sanctions that just make more people have to eat dirt would really affect him. But what if the sanctions finally are getting in the way of his living large? So it might be completely self-interest on his part, but the sanctions might be hurting him now and he wants to get out from under him. Now, there's another theory, and it is wildly speculative, but I like it. North Korea has had such a bad reputation for being a repressive regime that people are starving and all of that for so long. And let's say that he's an egomaniac, and he wants to be beloved, and he wants to be respected on the world stage, and he wants to leave a legacy, and he, you know, he wants to be a guy that they're going to continue to worship for decades after he's dead. And the approach that they've been taking up until now is to keep everybody over there in the dark about the realities, keep them impoverished, keep them basically unable to revolt. But what if he said, wait a minute, not because I'm a humanitarian, but because if I really want to be worshipped, the thing to do is to actually come back into the world fold. Get the sanctions lifted. Give up some nukes, maybe give them all up, start feeding my people, because then I will be beloved beyond all imagination as the guy who the, I become the benevolent leader and I turn the country around and suddenly people who were eating rocks are eating real food. You want to make people love you? 
You really want to make people love you? Feed them. You know that cliche, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach? Well, I think the, sometimes the way to a population's heart is through their stomach if they're starving. Now, this is, look, is that what he's doing? Probably not. Maybe that's my wishful thinking about what he's decided to do. If you, if you want, Because does he want to be loved or does he want to be feared? Or does he want to be the thing that's in the middle? What's in the middle of being loved and being feared, being respected? And it's hard to tell exactly what this guy wants. We know what South Korea wants. South Korea wants to not have to worry every day if they're going to get a missile lobbed over the DMZ on them. South Korea would like its people to be able to reunify with their family members. And I think South Korea would like the economic benefit that could come from reopening that uh, Kaesong complex that they have. They set up this big complex where workers from North Korea could come over and work at South Korean-owned factories in this complex. And, of course, they put the kibosh on that some time ago. If they could reopen that, it would help both sides economically. But I think South Korea has a better—because South Korea is much more of a Western-style economy. They have a better handle on how that would help their country. So definitely history is being made. And uh, whether it really becomes like Nobel Prize territory or it fizzles out remains to be seen. Hey, when we come back, this is a really interesting case. There's a woman here with a kid, and the father of the kid is in France, and she wants him to be forced to pay child support for the kid. And it's an international case, and we'll get into that when we come back. Plus, your chance to win $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental Wisdom teeth problem? Call Cunning Dental for a free exam. 888-640-SMILE. KFI AM640, it's the Bill Handel Show. Bill had to leave his voices completely shot. It's not going to stop us from giving you a chance right now to win some cash. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword BILLS to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's BILLS to 200-200. If you're the winner, they're going to call you, but you have to answer the call like Angela in San Clemente. She won $1,000, and you have another chance to win $1,000 next hour. Well, uh, there's apparently a very sexy man in France who is the subject of an international child support case uh, with a woman here in California. So first, the love story. She was a junior at UC Davis, just traveling around Europe. He was a French robotics engineer. He was almost 20 years her senior, but he looked a lot younger. We're talking about Alessandra Lubinets and the the, the sexy French man with no last name, Philippe. They met in a crowded cafe at the airport in Paris. He had to catch a plane. But a romance was sparked. They started corresponding. He sent her a necklace on the anniversary of their meeting. That's a bit much, I think. Or is it not? Hold on. Jennifer Jones-Lee, you're a lady. 
Is that like too cheesy or is that really sweet and cool? No, it's 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 the cool. anniversary of our. Like oh, it, it. is. So, yeah. Okay. I know the day we met. Mm-hmm. That's why I can't get a lady. <laughs> and on her birthday, sent her a watch. Then she went over there to visit again. They. I'm sorry. This. Do- they kissed at the Louvre. Their second date was where Jennifer Jones Lee. The cheesiest, most hackneyed, cliched place to have a second date in Paris. Take a guess. Eiffel Tower? Yep. That is correct. Ding, 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 ding. And they went skiing in the French Alps. Anyway, then uh, she had her senior year at UC Davis, and after that, she went back to France to live with him. And then, of course, she came back to the United States when the summer was over. But guess what? Something was different. She was pregnant. Then guess what happened? Guess what happened between them? They split up. Yes, of course they did. The relationship died. You want to know why it died? Why? Because it started with kissing at the Louvre and having a date at the Eiffel Tower. That's why it died. Too much cheese. Because it wasn't a real relationship. Yep. It was two people's dumb idea of a relationship from a movie. Well, now we have a problem because the kid, Henri, is six years old and uh, Ms. Illuminates wants child support but guess what he's over there in france oh he's not here he's not in the united states he's in france so this is uh one of the very first test cases here in california uh there's a treaty there's actually an international treaty and it was put into place in 2007 it's the hague convention on the international recovery of child support and family maintenance And here in the United States, it took effect uh, January 1 last year. Covers 36 countries, and it's reciprocal relationships to collect child support from parents who aren't around. Now, within the United States, there's a very robust system between states to enforce child support stuff. Internationally, it's a little tougher because it's a treaty. It's an agreement. That doesn't mean every country, even ones that signed onto the treaty, are that into it. But there's also another problem. He was never here. Like, you can understand, let's say you're the sexy guy from France, and you come here, and then you have a kid, and then you go back to France. And you were here, and you were ordered to pay child support, and then you try to move to France to get out of it. Right. We all understand. Oh yeah, there's probably an there should be an international mechanism that you can't get out of your. He was never here. He was never in a family court. He was never ordered by any judge in the United States to pay any child support. So that's what makes it the legal side of it extremely murky. Now, he is not guaranteed to be off the hook here because we do have this treaty and we also have the fact that apparently he did voluntarily sometimes send her some money. And that's going to be a problem for him if this ever gets into an international court uh, because that's basically an admission that you feel some responsibility, right, for the financial welfare of the kid. And so because he did that, That may not uh, help him. She wants $617 a month. He makes $11,100 a month. I think that's reasonable. She's not asking for a tremendous portion of his salary. 
Um, so we'll have to see what happens. But, you know, this is exactly what happened. He was all into the lovey-dovey until she got pregnant. And that's when he started to uh, to pull away. He probably should have pulled away long before. <laughs> yep. When we come back, it's Handle on the News Late Edition. This is KFI AM640. Jennifer Handle on the News. Late Edition. Handle on the News. Know your limits, Master Wayne. Well, can't afford to know them. And what's going to happen on the day that you find out? We all know how much you like to say, I told you so. On that day, Master Wayne, even I won't want to. KFI AM640, it's the Bill Handel Show. Bill had to go home. His voice is totally shot. Fingers crossed he's back tomorrow. Everybody, cross your fingers. If every single person listening crosses your fingers, it'll happen. We will continue. Handle on the News Late Edition, Jennifer Jones, Lee, and me, lead story. Look at him. He's a pervert. Don't be fooled by his winning smile. The suspect in the Golden State Killer case... Was a recluse, his neighbors say. What a shocker. Right. They said he was a little bit weird. He kept to himself. Sometimes he yelled at people who got too close to his fence or mowed their grass too early. On one hand, though, that just sounds like sounds like anybody. Yeah. It sounds like anybody. I'd like to hear his side of it. Were they mowing the grass at 4 (laughs) a.m.? He might have had a point. How close to his fence were they getting? All right. They said he wasn't overly creepy, mm-hmm. but he definitely, you know, kept to himself and was kind of a little different, said one neighbor. All right. All right. Well, uh, maybe they were going after the worst of the worst. We're talking about this ATF raid on a home in Santa Ana. And the reason I say the worst of the worst is because they had an ATF special response team on this raid on this house in Santa Ana. And apparently, if you have the special response team there, it is reserved for what they call the worst of the worst. Right. And there were, I think, uh, five other locations across Southern California targeted. And uh, I think all we know is it has something to do with, quote, violent criminal activity. You don't have anything more recent than this, this right? No, this is it. Uh, could be one of these gang takedowns that the feds like to do. Yeah. You know, you got these terrible street gangs, and the people in the street gangs keep committing crimes. They go to the state system. I'm not ragging on the state system, but they go over to the state system, and they get these uh, penny-ante sentences, you know, and they're out again to do it again. And eventually the feds put together usually like a RICO case against the gang, get them all into a federal prosecution, and then suddenly they're looking at things like, 20 years, 30 years, even life in prison. Could be something like that, or it could be something completely different. You know, it's interesting. I'm just looking on um, ABC7 right now, and they've got a picture of three people who were arrested. I think this was at the house in Santa Ana. And it almost looks like a grandfather or a dad and -hmm. maybe like a son and daughter. They're not necessarily super young people in this picture. Are those people, though, that are under arrest for charges or just people that, of course, you're going to handcuff everybody this says who's in the house? Three people were seen in handcuffs in Santa Ana. ATF confirmed eight arrests were made at those six locations. OK, but but so there's a gap there. Are, right. are those people part, part of, the, of that? Anyway, well, that's what happened. They go in there. Everybody gets hooked up. And then if you're lucky, you get unhooked. 
uh, before the day is done. Well, more than that's going to come out because they'll probably, I'm assuming there'll be some announcement from the feds about specifically what's going on there. Well, you know that North Korea said, hey, we're going to suspend our nuclear tests for a while. Right. And everybody thought, oh, because diplomacy. Right. Maybe not. Oh, baby, there ain't no mountain high Some scientists no from China say uh, the reason they may be stopping their nuclear test is because the last one collapsed the mountain oh. that they were testing under. That was back in uh, September, I think, right? They, they tested a 100-kiloton bomb, and there was a 6.3-magnitude earthquake. earthquake right. And uh, there's some dispute about whether it opened up a big hole in the mountain or, as some Chinese scientists are saying now, the entire mountain is gone, <laughs> which would mean, guess what? Radioactivity is spreading yeah. from that site across the country. So that's not good. And today's the big day where North Korea meets South Korea, right? Tomorrow. Kim, oh, it's tomorrow. Yeah. Kim Jong-un's going to mm-hmm. actually walk, like literally walk across the border from what I understand and meet the mm-hmm. South Korean president. In the DMZ? And they're going to what they call a peace house. Yeah, they have a special facility that's not, it's tech, It's not in either country, right? So right. it's a neutral ground. Right. So well, but, I wonder if the subject of whether you still have a mountain or not. That might come up. It'll come up. Well, uh, we were afraid this might happen, and now it's been confirmed that one of those Dallas police officers who was involved in that shooting at Home Depot has died. It was a guy who had been taken into custody because of shoplifting. Well, he panicked. He had a bit of a rap sheet. Nothing super violent, though, but he seemed to panic. As soon as he does get arrested, the two cops show up. He ends up shooting at them. And then it's one of those situations, though, where the family comes out and goes, that's not my son. He couldn't have done that. He's a nice, he's sweet, he's lovable, says the grandma. I think she said bad influences. He hung out with the His wrong friends. crowd. right. Yeah, of I told him to stay away from those bad people. That's basically what she said. That's says. how you absolve, you try to absolve yourself of guilt, right, for, for having a murderer in your family. Yeah. I tried to tell him. Did you did you specifically tell him not to shoot police officers to death? Hey, you know the Waffle House shooting hero, James Shaw Jr., took the gun away from the shooter and started a GoFundMe campaign to help victims of the shooting? Guess how much he's raised? More than $150,000. That's more than 10 times the goal that he set. He said, obviously, he didn't understand, you know, the outpouring of support that would happen. He set the goal too low, which is fantastic. Now, the restaurant says they're going to donate all the proceeds for the next month to the families of the people who survived and also the families, obviously, of the people who died. That's awesome. And then a guy in New York saw all of this happening, and he said, well, is anybody doing anything for James Shaw Jr.? I'll start a GoFundMe campaign for him, and that's almost at $165,000. And I bet you 20 bucks. James Shaw Jr. turns around and donates that right back to the charity that he started. He very well might. He also got a special uh, joint resolution proclamation honoring him from the uh, lawmakers there in Tennessee. When uh, we let's come take back? A break. Yeah, let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, what's the most dangerous job in California? Talk show host. Mm, not even close. Oh. It's KFI AM6. One foot in front of the other. 
That's how you do it. KFI AM640. It's a Bill Handel show. Bill had to leave. His voice is completely shot. So please send your thoughts and prayers to his voice. We all want him back tomorrow. Let's continue. Handle on the news late edition. Jennifer Jones, Lee, and me. All right. I'm giving everybody five seconds here. What do you think is the most deadly job in California? Four, three, two, one. Logger. Yeah, this is per capita because it's not raw numbers. Right. Only 15 loggers died between uh, 2012 and 2016. But that translates to one in 600 loggers. <sighs> wow. Which is a small, I mean, 600, wow, that's a lot. Yeah. They looked at other ones. A higher number of heavy truck drivers die on the job than workers in any other occupation. Construction laborers, roofers, painters, tree trimmers. But you look at that and you go, these are all people who have the... Uh, potential of falling, all of those situations. Right. Construction, roofer, painter, tree trimmer. Farm workers are high on the list. Oh yeah, because that farm equipment, man. Also, uh, I think there's you get a lot of heat-related deaths. Sure. In oh, agriculture, yeah. and of course, police officers. Yeah. Uh, round out the list. Now, when they compiled this data, there was a minimum number of people that had to die. You had to have at least three. I'm sorry, you had to have at least four deaths in that kind of job to even be part of the list. Right. So, for example, trapeze artists, we don't know. Or professional rock climbers, we don't know what the per capita death rate is because not enough. there are not enough of them to have enough of them pass away, and right, all, that you would know how dangerous it is. And also, it didn't include stuff like heart attack at your desk or something like that. Yeah, it has to be related to actually performing your job, not just that you died at work. Right, because wasn't it a number of, like, the airline tower workers? Didn't they have, like, an, a, a strange number of heart attacks or yeah. something like that or stress-related? They did. Incidents? They had a lot of stress-related issues. Uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions is backtracking. Specifically, he was going to shut down this government-funded legal orientation program that makes sure detained immigrants know their rights and their legal options in court. It was started under uh, George W. Bush. He was going to shut it down, but people from both parties said, what are you doing? So he has decided he will not shut it down, at least not right now. Well, the EPA chief says, bring it. I am ready for all your hop topics. So Scott Pruitt is in front of Congress and he's facing questions over his travel expenses, security detail, the installation of, I have not heard about this one, a $43,000 secure phone booth. Yeah, the soundproof phone booth. <laughs> I didn't heard of that one. Anyway, so he comes up with this list of hot topics that he's apparently ready to go with. Yeah, he's prepping. and he's But he turned down the White House's offer to help him prep. So he's kind of doing this on his own. Yeah, he's a maverick. He can he can he can stand the heat. He's gonna he's gonna he's not gonna buckle under the pressure of why did you need a forty three thousand dollar phone booth? <laughs> Apparently, or why were five staffers reassigned or demoted or requested new jobs over the past year after they raised concern about oh I don't know spending and management of the agency's administrator? It will be interesting to see whether he does buckle or whether anybody gets some good digs in at him. Oh, I'm sure they're going to get a couple. Hearings. Well, California state workers, you will only get a check once a month. Money. 
which is what you've been getting. Uh, but there was a law, Senate bill, I love this. Se- hey, if you're going to have your Senate bill and you want to keep it secure, don't number it one, two, three, four. <laughs> and it would have switched to getting paid every other week. The idea being it'll help people manage their finances better if you get two checks, which isn't that a way of saying it'll it'll make it harder for people to spend their entire paycheck? Yes, that's because exactly another what one's I coming in two weeks. Yep. Uh, and it died. It's dead. It's not going to happen. Well, the Trump administration apparently wants to make it easier, maybe for federal contractors to hide pay discrimination. I feel like that headline, though, is a, is a little bit misleading. I mean, I don't necessarily think that they're going to try and that was the intent is we're going to make it easier for you to hide your pay discrimination. I don't think that was I don't think they said, yeah, let's make it. However, it will. It does. Exactly. But I'm just saying the way that that's described feels just a little accusatory. Yeah. But um, what they're saying is that in this way that back when Obama put this in, it was this directive called 307, and that had made the DOL's ability to look into or sanction federal contact contractors that showed a pattern of pay, paying like female workers or employers of color less than their white colleagues. But now apparently this would stop the agency's auditors from picking which workers and job categories to compare when they look at potential pay gaps. Yeah. In other words, the investigators would decide what they're going to compare. Yep. Now the company gets to decide. And say, so you look at this and this. Yeah. Uh, and I don't look, I don't, you know, this is seems a little esoteric. Yes. But I can tell you this for sure. You never let the person or entity being investigated decide how and what you get to investigate about it. Right. You know that couple up in Joshua Tree uh, that was living with their three children in the big box? I know I said that on purpose because Chris Little hates it when we call that thing they were living in a box. But you know what? It was a big rectangular structure. Um, They're still having this legal case going on. Their kids were taken away. They got to be back in court on May 2nd. And a lot of supporters are rallying around them. Because hell they're saying, look, these, this is not the abuse house. This is not the Turpins. It's not the Turpins with chaining people to the bed. They love their kids. They did everything they could for their kids. And their only thing they're guilty of is being poor, which does seem to be the case based on what they found there and what everybody's saying. Because didn't they say, like, the kids had new bicycles or they had, remember, they found some kind of strange stuff there, like, New toys and stuff like that, yeah. but yet the kids were living in this strange thing. But the but the family owned the property on which they were. living. I think they owned it. They were going to build a dream house, and you know it didn't happen didn't because happen. of economics. Anyway, so maybe those charges will be dropped. When we come back, Dr. Jim Keeney is going to join us. A most amazing, groundbreaking transplant has been performed on a brave soldier uh, who was injured severely in Afghanistan. We'll tell you what they did and how they did it, and he can give us some perspective on just how big a deal this is. Notice that I'm not saying any more details yet. There's a reason. It's KFI AM 640. Jennifer Jones-Lee, you have some news now. I want to be This is the Bill Handel Show. Bill had to leave. His voice is completely shot. And we're bringing on Dr. Jim Keeney now. Let me bring you on first before I tell everybody this important news about you. Good morning, sir. 
Good morning. You are the chief of staff elect at Mission Hospital in Mission Viejo in Laguna Beach, California. Congratulations. Thank you. When is your inauguration? Well, this, it's actually, uh, Bill keeps doing this, too. This is a position that lasts a whole year. This is not new news, and it's a, it's a position, and it's part of what you do uh, for a year, and then you become chief of staff. So it's just a process. Wait, I don't understand. Was there an election? Was there an Did people vote? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so oh. you be, you, they elect you as chief of staff, so they, you start as a secretary treasurer for the first year to kind of oh. get to know the process. Right. Then the second year, you're, you're chief of staff elect. Mm-hmm. And then you get more involved, and by the time you're chief of staff, you have the experience to be able to do it. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Now, let's talk about this amazing medical development, and uh, just a quick, you know, it's a PG-13 situation, because it is an Army veteran who had a full penis and scrotum transplant at Johns Hopkins. How big a deal is this, medically speaking? Yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, this is uh, nearly a first. I mean, they've done it in another cancer patient before, but uh, yeah, this is this is a, a big deal because it's an area that probably most people uh, don't you know don't talk about, don't want to address. Uh, but you know, when you have a visible amputation of a limb or something like that, you, people understand. Hey, you know, the person would sure like to get that function back. Um, but there are there are many injuries, hundreds of genital injuries in war and in other uh, settings where uh, people would like to get that function back. And and so this is a, a big step towards that. There's a, a former Army psychiatrist uh, who also wrote a book about injuries in war and intimacy. And she said that this is one of the very first questions soldiers ask after a big injury is whether their private parts were harmed. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a big concern. I mean, obviously, uh, when when you get uh, injured in the abdomen, the, the upper part of the lower extremities, uh, it's going to be a, a concern for a lot of people. I mean, it's it's an important part of life for most people, even though it's not necessarily dinner conversation every day. So here, I know that cancer patient you spoke of, I don't think it was as extensive as what happened here. Penis, scrotum, and also part of the uh, abdominal wall all had to be taken from a donor who who died, we don't know anything about the donor, and uh, put onto this guy. What are all the things you've got to do to attach all that stuff? Right. So a lot of times, what you're when you're including uh, this extra tissue, it's either because uh, the don't, the recipient required that because of the abdominal wall injury, uh, and I I haven't been able to to kind of learn the details of whether maybe that uh, part of that abdominal flap was necessary. Uh, as part of the vasculature, you know, to allow this a better chance to heal. So, um, you know, and, and any tissue, you have veins, arteries, and nerves, and you have to hook those up, and you plan that ahead of time on where the major uh, vein, arteries, and nerves are that you need to hook back up. Uh, and in the case of a penis, you have the urethra, and you need to reconnect that um, and, uh, to allow it to function normally. And so, they, they do all that. But apparently, it took a team of 11 doctors. There's nine plastic surgeons and two urologists uh, that uh, did a 14-hour surgery to make this happen. So we're talking about microsurgery where we're under a microscope and, and uh, sewing together small blood vessels with, with thread that's finer than the finest hair you can imagine. It, let's say that you attach the veins and the arteries but not the nerves, what do you get in terms of functionality? 
Well, um, you, you don't get, obviously, sensation. Uh, you may not get the full function of, uh, of a penis. And, uh, you know, and then the other issue is that nerves are actually important to maintain uh, tissue a lot of times because if you're not feeling, uh, for example, when there's pressure against your skin, you can get a pressure ulcer. You can get, uh, and that can damage the tissue. So, you know, you don't think about it because you naturally, if you're leaning against something and there's something sharp pushing against your arm that necessarily it wouldn't cut you but might cut off the blood flow, you just move your arm. You don't think twice about it. But if you don't have that sensation, then suddenly, like diabetics who lose sensation in their feet from damage uh, to the nerves from high blood sugar, uh, they could get a rock in their shoe. And uh, for you, you just take off your shoe and remove the rock. For them, they walk around on it all day long and then end up with an ulcer on the bottom of their foot. So you really need all of it for it to work. Uh, these doctors were faced with uh, a moral dilemma in doing this. Specifically, they did not include the uh, testes of the donor. Right. Was that the right call? Yeah, I think so, right? Because, I mean, that's an area of ethics that we really haven't explored is, you know, a testicular transplant would allow uh, that person to produce sperm from the donor. And so now you'd have donor children, potentially, uh, procreated by the recipient. So whose kids are they, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and who's their mom and dad and who, who is their family at that point? It's very, it gets very confusing. Uh, and we already have these issues with sperm donation, and that's already done. So I'm sure in the future, if we walked through that process uh, ahead of time, then maybe that would make more sense. But in this case, I think you're already kind of potentially blowing the minds of some donors and, and, you know, this is probably challenging as well for the recipient uh, as far as, you know, getting your head around this type of donation. And so, uh, you know, why complicate the first case of this with that ethical issue? So to me, it seems like let's just get, you know, function. Let's first make sure we can get function back uh, and then worry about this ethical dilemma maybe later on. Because if this doesn't work, then there's no point in a testicular transplant because there's no way to get the the sperm, you know, to impregnate anyone, so you don't need it. Let me ask you this question. I'm sort of sad. This will be not sad, but weird. This will be the last question that I get to ask you about this. If you transplant one man's testes into another man, will they yeah. make sperm that is the the donor's sperm indefinitely or at some point do they switch over and start producing sperm that are the sperm of the recipient? Well, I think the assumption would be that the, because those, that tissue has the DNA from uh, the donor, that forever it will make uh, donor sperm. Uh, that would be a shocker if somehow the, uh, you know, the, the DNA in the cells actually transfer over. Uh, so I, I really don't think that would happen. But, you know, since it's not something that's ever been done, who knows? You know, you never know. But I, I think that, you know, if you just kind of use logic and, and scientific reasoning here, that it would be the donor's sperm forever. Wow. All right. Well, listen, thank you very much, and congratulations to you. <laughs> thank and you. we will talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Take All care. Right. Dr. Jim Keeney, there he goes. Now, when we come back, uh, there's a medical case. You remember the case of Charlie Gard? Uh, the infant whose parents wanted him to continue to get treatment. Well, there's another one 
And it's really causing me to ask what the sweet hell is wrong with Britain over there. We'll get into that. And coming up after the break, your chance to win $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental. Need dental implants? Call Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888-640. KFI AM 640, this is the Bill Handel Show. Bill is out. His voice just gave out today. Hope he's back tomorrow. Now, time to win some cash. You're shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword cash to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's cash to 200-200. They call the winner and you have to answer or you can't win. Karen in La Habra answered and won $1,000. Your next chance to win next hour. All right, let's talk about this case of Alfie Evans. A lot of people are talking about it. This little child over in Britain is uh, on life support, went into the hospital with some kind of a weird um, infection, and the infection was causing him to have seizures, like constantly. So he's relying on a ventilator. Now, on the one hand, the doctors over there say that he has a rare and incurable degenerative neurological condition. But on the other hand, they also say they have not reached a definitive diagnosis. So the doctors decided he should be removed from the life support. The parents said, oh, no, 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 no. There's no need for that yet. Now, we have this problem in the United States from time to time where somebody is on life support and the hospital says, look, they're never going to get better, they're never going to be cured, and the time has come to disconnect them. And the family fights it, and they go to court, and sometimes the courts rule in favor of the hospital. The hospital's allowed to disconnect the person. But what's happening over there in Britain doesn't happen here. Because there have been some cases where the, that happened here and the hospital was allowed to disconnect the person and the family was able to, able to make other arrangements. Uh, there was either another hospital or another organization that was willing to continue to provide the life support and, the, and they are allowed to move their loved one to a new place. And the hospital that wants to disconnect the person, they don't fight it. They don't say... No, you can't take your person out of here. After all, that's what they want. They want they want the person on life support out of there. And they never say, oh, no, you can't. But over in Britain, they can and they have because uh, little Alfie Evans has a place to go. Italy. The Pope has gotten involved. The Pope has been tweeting repeatedly about this situation. The Italian government has already given Alfie Evans Italian citizenship, and there are arrangements in place to transport him over there. In other words, uh, he can mo- be moved to Italy to continue to be kept on the ventilator. Whether or not doctors in Italy would ever be able to cure what ails him is a completely different issue, but 
there's a place for him to go, and it doesn't cost the British government any money. They don't have to pay for any of this. And yet, he can't go. Which strikes me as crazy. That a country, I I mean, this is not supposedly a totalitarian regime. It's not Myanmar. It's Britain. And that you would end up with a situation where you're not allowed to leave your own country. And that is what's going on. Because, and I'm a big fan of single-payer health care as a generic idea. I don't know if the government necessarily should be doing it, but Bill and I both belong to Kaiser. And Kaiser is kind of a single-payer health care system. Not exactly, but pretty close. It's privately managed. There is government money involved. They absolutely get uh, Medicare and Medicaid funds. But it's privately managed. The decisions that are made are not made by the government. And I think it works very well. And over in Britain, of course, it's all run by the government. And apparently, one of the things that you can get when the government completely controls every aspect of it is they can decide that whether or not the patient is suffering too much to be continued on life support. And that's what happened here. They went to court, and the big argument is, well, uh, this child is suffering. Now, nobody really can tell what this child is feeling or not. So I'm certainly not in a position to say, oh, no, he's not. He's fine. And I'm not in a position to say, if he's not fine, there are ways that he could be kept comfortable. I don't know. But nobody knows the opposite either. And it's not so much a debate for me about, you know, is it morally correct or ethically responsible to keep this kid on a ventilator and to to let this kid go to Italy? It's not the it's not the deep, unknowable moral and ethical questions. It's more like, well, who somebody has to decide. Should the government be deciding or should the parents get to decide if it's no skin off the government's back? If it doesn't cost them anything, if they're not being forced by a court to continue to pay for it, why do they care? And why are they fighting so hard over there uh, to let this kid die instead of saying, oh, you have another place to go? You can take him to Italy and get him out of our situation? Fine. Have at it. I really don't understand it. But that's the situation now. When we come back, uh, a topic that's not quite as heavy at all, when is beef beef? And when is beef not beef? And when should you be allowed to call something beef? Because there's a big beef going on about this. And I'll say what it is. It's Bill Handel's show, KFI AM640, Jennifer Jones Lee, you have news. KFI AM 640. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill had to go home. His voice is shot. Hoping he's back tomorrow. Uh, In a moment, the beef about beef. But first, big event to tell you about. Uh, It's a KFI mixer with the uh, KFI on-air hosts. Donate now to help the American Red Cross initiative to get prepared, California. And when you do, uh, in a very specific way that I'll tell you about, you and a guest will then get to mix and mingle with the KFI crew for an exclusive evening at the beautiful OUE Sky Space in Los Angeles. This is a wonderful facility on top of the U.S. Bank Tower. 
You can meet the team. There's a live Q&A session, photo opportunities. Okay. Oh, and unlimited sky slide rides after the mixer. You have to be 21 years or older to attend. There are limited tickets, so get them before they're gone. And to be clear, you're not just buying a ticket to the event. What you're doing really is you're making a donation to the Red Cross and you're getting to come to the event. For more details, log on to KFIAM640.com and search the keyword mixer. Now, the beef about beef. Do you remember, in fact, it was a little over 10 years ago now that Oprah Winfrey prevailed against the U.S. Cattlemen's Association who had sued her because she had done that program about mad cow disease. Remember mad cow disease? What happened to mad cow disease? I know it's still around. And she said, she was on the show and she said something like, I'll never eat a hamburger again. And they were like, ah, you've made everybody stop buying beef. And they sued her for a bunch of money and she won, by the way. Well, here we are over 10 years later. The U.S. Cattlemen's Association are at it again. This time, they are angry about these new plant-based products that purport to be just like beef. The Impossible Burger. The other product, of course, does use the word beef in its name, Beyond Beef. And uh, they want the Department of Agriculture to prevent these companies from using these kinds of brand names. In fact, they want the USDA to stop anybody from selling anything that they're calling anything like vegan meat or synthetic beef or fake beef or anything. Eight million Americans are vegetarians. That seems low to me. I think there are 8 million vegetarians just in Studio City. And about half of those are also vegans. And so there is a market for these plant-based products. Now, it gets into the question really of, I think the U.S. Cattlemen's Association are saying that you are incredibly stupid. Because they're worried about confusion. Now, I notice uh, if you go to the supermarket and you go to the dairy section, you will also see the almond milk is there and the soy milk is there. And I don't think anybody's confused that the, the thing that's called almond milk comes from a cow. I don't think anybody thinks that, right? And so apparently, you know, that's fine. But the Cattlemen's Association thinks that if you see the Impossible Burger in the same meat case as the burgers that come from cows, that you, dummy, aren't going to realize that it's not real meat. Even though the entire point of it and all of the packaging touts quite loudly that it's not made from meat. I think they don't think you're stupid. And I know you're not stupid. I think what they're afraid of is you go, hey, let's make some burgers tonight. And you go to the meat case and then you see Beyond Beef or Impossible Burger. And you're like, you know what? I'll give it a try. That's a beef purchase. They don't get that day. And then if it turns out that you like it, maybe you start buying that. And then their sales go down. That's what it really is. They don't really want the competition. And it's not the only uh, food-based industry 
that doesn't want competition. There is a senator in Wisconsin, Tammy Baldwin, and she introduced a bill, and it has bipartisan support, by the way, and it's the Defending Against Imitations and Replacements of Yogurt, Milk, and Cheese to Promote Regular Intake of Dairy Every Day Act, which the acronym is Dairy Pride. They try so hard to make it spell something. And that would be a law that would make it illegal for any product to use the word milk unless it is, and this is what's in the law, you know what you got to be to be called milk? You must be the lacteal secretion of a cow. And if you're not one of those, then you better not be milk. And they want the FDA basically to say you can only use the word milk if you're the lacteal secretion of a cow. Wouldn't necessarily be the craziest law that the FDA has. We were talking about this on Monday with Bill on do they have a case. There's a dairy farmer in Maryland who uh, makes natural skim milk. They don't add anything to it. Right. And they wanted to sell it in Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania said, sure. And the FDA said, no, you can't call it skim milk. Why can't I call it skim milk? We take it out of a cow. We skim the cream off of it, and we sell it. Why? And we pasteurize it. It's totally safe. Why can't we call it skim milk? Well, you're not adding vitamins A and D. Right. It's natural milk. Skim milk. It's the way right. it comes out of the cow. Yeah, but when you skim the cream off, you lose the fat-soluble vitamins in milk. So really, skim milk is not milk, in the opinion of the FDA, because it doesn't have all the vitamins that you would expect if you're drinking milk. And they just so put I've- skim milk minus A and D. No, you have to call it imitation skim milk. That's crazy. They said, you can sell it if you That's call it imitation. Crazy. And they're suing. They said, you can't make us call real milk fake milk. <laughs> and But they're saying, but it isn't milk because it doesn't have the fat-soluble vitamins in milk. And so it's not milk. That's why so many companies, usually when you see skim milk, they'll say with vitamin A and D added. And they might add some other things, too, in there to make it right. So the idea is if we take the cream out, it still has to have the nutritional profile of milk. But then I would argue, well, it doesn't have the fat content of milk. So how come even if you add the vitamin, shouldn't you have to skim it? (laughs) So dumb. Skim it and then put some fat back in it because that's how it comes out of the cow, which is the same thing the FDA is saying It comes out of the cow with the fat-soluble vitamins. But if you skim the cream off, you lose them, so you have to put them back in so it has what it has when it comes out of the cow. But it's okay if it doesn't have the fat or the protein content when it comes out of the cow. And you can call it milk. So I don't even get it. But in any event, I think the beef and dairy people need to be not so worried about these plant-based products They need to be worried about the lab-grown beef, where you're using actual cow cells to grow beef that genetically, you know, the the molecules in it are beef. That's what's going to kill the beef industry, except it's a long way away from being at a viable level where you could really go in a store and buy that stuff. But that's probably what they should concern themselves with because that's where they'll lose sales. The people who want the Beyond Burger... Other than some dabblers, they're not going to buy beef anyway. All right, when we come back, speaking of a dumb thing, some dumb lawsuits, including one that we brought up on Do They Have a Case some time ago, and it has been settled. 
A guy got kicked out of a bar, and he's suing for why he was kicked out of the bar. And I'll tell you about that. And then some other of these uh, the most famous frivolous lawsuits, including one that is always cited. When you say, hey, name a frivolous lawsuit, this is the number one thing that people say, and it's actually not frivolous at all. Talk about that when we come back. It's KFI AM. Please don't forget. All my friends are here so we can show. Wait for them to ask you who you know. Please don't KFI AM 640. Bill Handel's show. Bill off. His voice went completely today. And now uh, a few people are complaining that I'm asking too much of you because I said, send your thoughts and prayers and also keep your fingers crossed. We could start a GoFundMe also for his voice. Uh, Bill, come back tomorrow, please. Get your voice in order, sir. Coming up at 10, Gary and Shannon. But before that, the great MAGA cap lawsuit of 2017 has come to an end. It all started when a guy from Philadelphia, who's in New York, uh, Greg Piatic, he goes into this bar. Bar's called The Happiest Hour. It's in the West Village. Should have been a clue to him not to go in there with his MAGA cap. But he did. He was wearing the old Make America Great Again cap. And uh, he felt that he was getting uh, some rude service from the bartender, which, guess what? He was. And he said, hey, I, you know, <laughs> being rude. And apparently the staff there said, anyone who supports Trump or believes what you believe is not welcome here and you need to leave right now because we're not going to serve you. And then he was escorted from the premises. So he filed a lawsuit, discrimination. You can't discriminate against me because of my political beliefs. Well, finally, uh, the case went to court. And the lawyer for the bar said, you know, the discrimination laws in New York State and in New York City, they protect religious beliefs. They do not protect political beliefs. And supporting Trump is not a religion, and so he has no case. Well, right there in court, and I got to hand it to his attorney, not for having a great argument, for, for being very agile and, uh, and quick on his toes. He immediately pivoted. And he said, well, the purpose of the hat is spiritual. You see, he's wearing the hat. He was wearing the hat because he had visited the 9-11 memorial and paying spiritual tribute to the victims of 9-11. And so the hat is part of his spiritual belief. Now, this is a great argument if you have your ducks in a row and you're ready for the questioning that's going to come. But they weren't because this is something the lawyer just kind of made up right there in the courtroom. So the judge goes, uh, uh, let me ask you something. How are the people working at this bar supposed to know of this unusual religious belief? And the lawyer said, well, they knew he was wearing a hat. So then the judge said, well, how many members are in this uh, spiritual program that your client has? And the lawyer, and this is great, when lawyers don't want to give the real answer, the real answer is zero. There are no other people. But he doesn't want to say that. So he says, we don't allege how many people are in this uh, religious group. And so the judge goes, so it's a creed of one? 
Yes, Your Honor. So then the judge took a short break, came back on the bench and said, you know what? Uh, Your claim that your hat is faith-based is bogus. And kicking someone out of a bar because they support the president is not outrageous conduct. I know a lot of people will disagree with that. But legally, it's not outrageous conduct in this case. So now the uh, lawyer who came up with the uh, great idea that the hat was religious said he's got to look at everything to see if they want to appeal the case. I can't believe that he would continue to pursue this case for free. I don't know how much money this guy has to take it up to the appeals court. And so it ended up being treated like a frivolous lawsuit, and there have been so many over the years. And some of them really were very frivolous. The guy, Richard Overton, who sued Anheuser-Busch because he drank a six-pack of Bud Light and didn't get the beautiful women on the beach. And he wanted $10,000 because it was deceptive marketing that caused him uh, psychological distress. Because in the commercial, when you drink the Bud Light, the girls in the bikinis show up. Or the guy, oh, what was his name? Austin something was his name. And he sued NBC. There was Remember that show Fear Factor? And there was an episode of Fear Factor where they took, this is so gross, they took rats and they put them in a blender and then the contestants had to drink it. So here's his lawsuit. He's watching the show on TV. He watches this and... He says his blood pressure went up so much because it was so gross that he got disoriented. And when he got up to leave the room, he couldn't see the door on his way to get out of the room. And he ran into a wall. And he wanted two and a half million dollars. And one of the things they said is, well, why two and a half million dollars? And he said, I just want to send a message to the TV networks that uh, it's too gross. You guys are getting too gross on TV. And I think $2.5 million would be a good amount that you'll stop putting rats in blenders and so forth. And, of course, the guy, Dalton Chisholm, I remember this case, he sued Bank of America. He had some something happen. He put a check in, and they didn't credit it properly, and he called customer service, and they were not as helpful as he would have liked. So he sued them for $1,000. billion trillion dollars, which is more than the gross domestic product of the entire planet Earth. Uh, Needless to say, he did not win anything at all. Gary Hoffman. Not even like pennies on the dollar for that? No, he got nothing. He got nothing. Mm. The French have a word for that. It's called bupkis. (laughs) They do. That's right. Macron used it four times in his speech (laughs) to Congress. Stop holding my bupkis hand. How are you? Fine. What's coming up on Gary and Shannon? Well, the big deal is at 11 o'clock, we have the uh, Sacramento County District Attorney uh, to talk about the Golden State Killer arrest that took place in her district. The most amazing thing about that news conference yesterday that we carried live on the Gary and Shannon show right here in KMI. You're getting all the gets on this case. Is that uh, she grew up in Sacramento and... She remembers, she said she remembers when she was 12 years old, the first couple of break-in rapes that this guy was accused of, where the neighborhoods were just terrified. Kids were warned not to stay out past sunset. You know, everybody locked their doors at night. I mean, it was it was a complete change from what had been the first 12 years of her life in terms of comfort in that neighborhood. And somebody tweeted yesterday and put it perfectly 
that the Sacramento County DA got into law enforcement and literally was able to lock up her own boogeyman from when she was a kid. This guy who terrorized her own neighborhood, and now she, as a law enforcement official, gets to put this guy away. So we'll talk about that. All of the jurisdictional issues as well, because, I mean, who's going to get to try this guy? He could be in, what, 10 different counties or something like that, and everybody had their... Tony Rakakis is trying to throw his big uh, wallet into the oh, ring to try no. to get the uh, the case. But all of that. And Pat Oswalt's wife, Michelle McNamara, I should say, Michelle McNamara, who happened to have been married to Pat Oswalt, um, wrote that great book about the Golden State Killer, came up with the moniker Golden State Killer. And while she didn't even get a lot of credit yesterday in the news conference, the fact that they kept saying the name Golden State Killer gives her credit for uh, for a lot of the break in the case. So, All right, very good. Uh, Alex, did we try to get the Sacramento DA for this broadcast? Huh. Gary and Shannon coming up I next. Crickets. It's I KFI. Crickets. Oh, they're all running over here because they think I'm seriously <laughs> wanting to know. KFI AM 640. Uh, Monica Ricks has some news right now.